Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. No industry has been untouched by the pandemic. While some sectors have been able to survive by reinvention or accelerating their digital offering, others, like the hotel industry, have been unable to do anything. Revenues dropped off a cliff. And it doesn't look like things will improve much until lockdowns and travel bans ease. Our guest today is Sir Rocco Forte global luxury hotelier, fervent supporter of Brexit and critic of the government restrictions imposed on the UK. I think there's been a huge overreaction by government and there continues to be. But once you've overreacted, you can't admit to that uh, without looking silly. So you have to carry on on the same on the same line. He spoke to my colleague Sasha Kadri about how he stays mentally and physically strong, his relationship with his children and how he learned so much from his father. Uh, I used to get sort of exasperated because we'd lose a deal of some kind. And he used to say, well, uh, we'll still have breakfast tomorrow morning. You know, he wouldn't be pushed to a silly price just to, just to do the deal. Sirocco's passion for hotels began early. He got his hands dirty in the family business when he was very young. But from, uh, from an early age, from I think about the age of 14, in my school holidays and then and then my university holidays, I used to spend half of them working in my father's business on, on the front line, effectively. Uh, so I worked in, as a waiter in kitchens, I did washing up. He told us why training as an accountant was one of the dullest things he ever did, but ultimately also one of the most useful. It was probably the most boring period of my life because you spend, you spend your time looking backwards rather than looking, looking forward. But it was very hugely useful to me. It gave me a level of numeracy, uh, which I still have. It gave me an understanding of finance. Here's Sasha with Sir Rocco. Sir Rocco, thank you so much for joining us here on Out of Office, the Bloomberg podcast. Um, I'd like to begin by just asking you, um, have the last nine months changed you at all? I know that you did have COVID. I know that you recovered. How's it been for you? Well, it's been a, a, a very frustrating period, uh, really, because it's been a complete disaster for my industry. There's no clarity going forward still. We're in a sort of limbo. Uh, this latest lockdown, which has been sort of Europe-wide, has created more problems. And the longer this continues, the more uh, not only my company, but all, the whole industry uh, is, going to, is going to suffer. And it's not, uh, it's not a, an industry where people can work from home. Uh, the people who work in the hotels have to be in the hotels to do their jobs. And uh, and they're the people that suffer suffer most. Uh, they're not necessarily highly highly paid people. 
yeah. uh, stuck in their homes with with nothing nothing to do, uh, and there's a great frustration uh, at that level as well. And so, is it? I guess it's a bit of an understatement to say it's been quite a stressful time professionally for you. Yes, I mean, I think you know, uh, in, if you if you're <laughs> someone who develops a business, you go through uh, through stressful times on a well, not necessarily on a continuous basis, but from time from time to time, and uh, you learn to to deal with it um, with the stress. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing what you're what you're doing. The, the, the strange thing about uh, this situation is most most of what is happening is outside of your control yeah. and there's very little you can do to react to it other than sort of batten down the hatches and and try and control costs as much as as much as possible everybody in this industry is going to be more indebted at the end of this period than it was at the beginning uh, not only governments but businesses as well governments don't seem to understand that at the moment seem to focus solely on the health issue and the economic side effects and the eventual health issues that will uh, arrive out of lockdown seem to be forgotten. It's something that's down the road and they'll deal with that uh, when the time comes. It's not a very intelligent approach. No, I mean, I, I remember reading that your sister said, and I, I might paraphrase this, but that maybe it's time to throw in the towel now. You know, it's I know your overnight sales dropped 40%. But you know, I know that the Fortes don't give up. You know, you've been in this industry more that than was, that 50 was at years. the time of the financial crisis. Oh, was that then? Okay, but um... sales were only down forty <laughs> percent. The last in the last four weeks, the sales have been six percent, thirteen percent, eighteen percent, and thirteen percent of last year. How long can you carry on like that then? Well, uh, I mean, for, certainly for another six months or. Or, or, or more, but I mean, I would hope that that by the summer we can see um, some return to normality and, and the summer season, which is important for my business. We 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 get a level of business uh, significantly higher than we did last year. I think that in countries like Italy, which depend on tourism uh, perhaps more than some others, um, we will see. And opening up during the summer, the problem will be: Will people like British be allowed to go on holiday uh, in Italy? Will the Americans be able to go on holiday? In Italy? That is the, the newest, the newest sort of issue, which seems quarantine, forced quarantine in special facilities. Yes. Can I ask you something? You've worked in this industry for more than fifty years. You've seen through your fair share of challenges. You said at the beginning, you know, you shouldn't be in this industry if you can't deal with the stress. Um, you dealt with the the hostile takeover of Granada. How do you stay resilient and how do you stay mentally strong, especially at challenging times such as these? Well, I'd, I've always kept very fit. Uh, continue to exercise uh, now to quite quite an extensive level uh, and I, I certainly think uh, that that happens uh, obviously you go through your moments of uh, a slight depression and, and, and why you think uh, but you do you pull yourself together uh, and uh, start you know try and look at the positive side of things what you can do in the short term to improve the situation you know you have to have a determination to 
to keep going and that you, uh, you're not going to give up. And uh, you're running a business, you're, you're the person that everybody in that business is looking up, up to. And you're the one who's got to show the leadership. And therefore, it means you've got to grit your teeth uh, and, uh, and be positive uh, about going forward. Is this, would you say, the toughest challenge that you've had so far? Yes, by far. You know, you mentioned that you mentioned the takeover situation. Uh, that's uh, in the UK. That's a fi- finite period of time. It's two months, and you go uh, you go through a process, and it's a sort of whirlwind type of uh, period. In some in, in some respects, is quite is quite uh, exhilarating. But the aftermath of that, uh, you know, was difficult. The frustrations of uh, once I decided to set up a new business, of actually getting going, finding the first hotel and so on, were, uh, were, were difficult. Then the financial price crisis perhaps um, was particularly difficult because the business then wasn't of a, of a size and strength as it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, um, you know, we were in some, in some difficulty. We have very supportive Bank, the Bank of Scotland or Lloyd's Bank of Scotland, um, um, which um, uh, believed in, in us and helped us helped us get get through it. The irritating thing about the current situation is the business is really getting on to uh, some momentum uh, when this COVID crisis uh, came about. You began your career after university, qualifying as an accountant. But would you say that hotels were in your blood from a very early age? I didn't uh, begin it as an accountant. I did it. I did it as a, as a business training. I did the, the three years of articles as a sort as a, a, a training program rather than to go into the accountancy profession. In fact, it was probably the most boring period of my life because you spend you spend your time looking backwards rather than looking looking forward. But it was very hugely useful to me. It gave me a level of numeracy, uh, which I still have. It gave me an understanding of finance uh, and accounting. It puts me in a position not to have to listen to accountants or not let them tell me what to do, which is very useful. So I'm very glad that I did it. But from, uh, from an early age, from I think about the age of 14, in my school holidays and then and then my university holidays, I used to spend half of them working in my father's business uh, on, on the front line, effectively. Uh, so I worked in as a waiter in the kitchens, I did washing up, counting side, the control side, and so on. So I saw, you know, I saw firsthand how things worked in the, in, in the industry, and I, and I developed a passion for it at, at that time. Um, I also had... Uh, my father's example, and he, you know, he was someone uh, who uh, developed a, a, a huge business, and his, uh, his commitment to it um, you know, was, was, uh, was, very, was very inspiring. And I saw effectively from an early age, I saw him you know, as, uh, as, he, as he developed, and, uh, and, and, and you could actually judge it by the sort of holidays he used to have in the, <laughs> in the summer. You know, as he as he started doing better, we had slightly more exotic holidays. <laughs> mm. 
Um, what kind of relationship do you have with your children who I understand also work in the business? Well, I have a very, uh, I, I hope, a very good relationship with them. I think, uh, I think that they would, uh, they would say that too. And uh, they're around a lot. We see a lot of, of them. Uh, they spend a lot of time with us. Of course, that has something to do with my wife as well, you know, who, who's a great believer in the sort of family, family unit. Um, what, what can I ask you, what changes, and I know you said you talked about revenues before, but what changes have you had to make to your business since COVID has hit? Well, um, obviously, we've, we've had to look at our, our, our cost base quite considerably. Obviously, we've taken advantage of the various furlough schemes across the countries and, and, and utilised them. That's enabled us to keep uh, a, a large number of staff on who would otherwise have had to have been dismissed um, or made redundant. That's helped considerably. We've, we've had to have negotiations with landlord where, landlords where we're leasing the hotels and persuade them to reduce the rent and defer part of the rent to a, to, a later, to a later date. Have you managed to do that? That's been generally successful uh, in, in, most, in most cases. Everybody in the company that continued to work has taken a 20% salary cut, including all the top management and, my, and myself. You know, we've looked at our operating structures to see, take a bunch of situations to see how we can make ourselves more efficient and improve them. And then we've worked on increasing our financial resources to see us through a period of, uh, of, of, low, of low income. We've succeeded in uh, securing an Italian government-backed loan in Italy for the Italian operations, which are quite considerable now, yeah. about half the, uh, half the turnover of the business. We're about to be half the would have been half the turnover of the business by if it hadn't been for COVID. And we're, and we're still looking now at uh, the possibility uh, of further government-backed loans in the UK. We've obviously had to review our capital expenditure program within, within the existing hotels and uh, significantly reduced that for the time being. But we've continued to to negotiate existing conversations you're really having on new new developments, uh, and continue to seek new developments uh, for the, for the future. That's something that's ongoing and hasn't hasn't stopped, because normally with with hotel projects, you're talking if you agree something today, it's two years before it actually comes comes to pass. Most of the projects we're looking at won't come through until. 2023. When, when do you see hotel revenues recovering? I think there was a report by PwC recently, I think it was talking about London, saying that daily room revenues not expected to hit 2019 levels until even 2024. Well, I mean, who knows? No, I mean, no expert is going to tell you no any more than I don't know at the moment, because because it's uh, you know there's there's no clear pathway forward. The luxury hotel industry is all about international travel. So long as countries are imposing quarantines, making it difficult for their citizens to travel abroad, so international travel will be curtailed, and so 
uh, so will um, the income of, of, of hotels which depend on it. I think that that um, we will see as soon as things open up again, we'll see a very significant rebound in leisure travel, quite dramatic, I think. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I know you were a very vocal pro-Brexiteer. Um, does Brexit now increase your appetite? I know you have many properties in Europe, but you've talked a lot about the bureaucracy and the red tape and you know how it's not that fun doing business in Europe. Now that we've finally done it and Brexit has happened and Brexit is done, does that increase your appetite to invest more in the UK and less in Europe? Do you think it would be easier to do business in the UK? Well, I think I hope so. I mean, we're yet to see uh, you know government coming out with any uh, pronouncements about red tape and, and uh, making it easier for, for businesses to function in this country. Although already we're you know we're this country is is much easier to do business in than than other European countries. I certainly do want to do uh, more in the UK. I mean, the, the, issue, the issue in the, in the UK is effectively the only place where you can get high room rates is, is, is London. And to give luxury service, you need high room rates. But it, uh, so, and there's no city which will, other than London which will take a big, big hotel uh, and be able to charge the rates that you achieve uh, in London. And, and, and what about staffing has brexit affected the staffing of your hotels and will it impact them couldn't do because generally speaking the, the industry employs a lot of uh, overseas staff many of them will stay here will stay here after or have have decided to stay here already covid has done a little bit of damage because obviously foreign staff who were on put on furlough uh, and effectively go home to the, their country of origin, probably then decide not to, not to come back. So it's a bit of a question of sucking and see. But I, I always say, I remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember pre-European Union days, long before we were part of the European Union, and I used to travel across Europe uh, quite, quite comfortably and easily. And we always used to employ foreign staff. It's obviously going to be more difficult, more bureaucratic to do that, uh, but it's uh, it's still possible, and I, I'm afraid it will be, it will continue to be necessary. Yeah, um, you talked about London there. I was curious, how do you see the future of London? Right, I I live in London. It feels like quite a sad city right now. I'm confident that London will bounce back. Do you think London will bounce back, and do you still see it as a financial centre? Yes, of course, it is a financial centre. It's 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 one of the biggest financial centres in the world. You know, its competitors are Singapore and New York. It's not Frankfurt or Milan or Paris, much as they want to try and 
and, 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 and compete. I mean, if you think that there are two and a half million people uh, employed in the industry uh, in, in London, uh, in the financial services, the wider financial services in, industry in London, and the population of Frankfurt is 400,000. It's hardly likely to be able to compete. But also there's the integration of all the services, the insurance, financing. Most of the finance in Europe is raised in, in London. It's not raised in, in other countries. And also there's the rule of law, which is highly respected in the UK. A lot of arbitration takes place in London because people think they're likely to get a fairer deal here than, any, than, than any, anywhere else. Uh, there's an integrity in the legal system here that there isn't in other countries in Europe in the same way. Do you feel confident that this government can get us out of this situation and lead us to a stronger economy? Because a lot would say, and I think you've also been critical of, of their actions to date, that they've, they've been quite inept, actually. Well, if, you know, everybody, everybody says... Um, uh, how ineffective they they've been, but I mean, if you look at any other country, the it's just as uh, hit and miss, been just as hit and miss in 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 most in most countries. If you look at France, they don't have a vaccine because they were dependent on French companies who are developing the vaccine, and they were going to go uh, their sort of nationalistic fervor said, "Oh no, we're only going to have a French vaccine," and now they're, sh- they're short of vaccines. We're we're the well, effectively, we're the first major country in the world in terms of uh, uh, vaccine uh, vaccinations taking taking place. Where I think I think Israel is first, and yeah. uh, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and then ourselves. They're all very small, relatively small countries in 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 comparison. So we're doing better than most on that. I mean, my issue has always been that I, you know, I don't believe in lockdown. I never believed in lockdowns. A lot of the evidence now coming through is that lockdowns do much more damage, damage uh, than uh, in the longer term, uh, than than the lives they may save in the in the short. If you look at the 1718 uh, flu epidemic uh, in, in the winter in the winter period. Excess deaths were higher then than they are, they are so far now. And in the COVID crisis, we didn't shut the country down. So I think there's been a huge overreaction by government, and there continues to be. But once you've overreacted, you can't admit to that uh, without looking silly. So you have to carry on on the same on the same line. You know, all the, 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 the these sort of they're scaremongering, and effectively, there's an attempt to cow the population into submission. And the more that happens, the more people are getting fed up. And I think within the next two months, we'll see a huge revolution in this country. I mean, whether it's not saying it's a physical revolution, but people that protest against this continued lockdown, which is doing so much damage to our children, uh, to, to, to older people who are isolated, and of course, to business. People are going to protest in a much more vociferous way than they have hitherto. Hopefully, you know, we'll see come March some 20 million people vaccinated in this country. The R rate have dropped to an infinitesimal level. Infections completely at a level where they're, they're insignificant. 
and government to the climate will mean that the government will be forced to open up again. But we'll have, we'll have to wait and see. We do. Have you been vaccinated yet, by the way? No, I haven't. No. 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 I haven't, okay. actually, I haven't had the call. No one, I haven't received any, uh, any communication about it, although I think I'm an age, of an age now where I'm entitled to be vaccinated. I think you are, yeah. I think you are. And I have, I, you know, I had COVID quite severely in the sense I didn't go to hospital, but three-week period. So I have some immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, which which can take me uh, which can take me through I think for for a while. Who has been your best mentor? Have you had an amazing mentor? And um, if so, what was the best advice that you've ever received? Well, my father was probably my best uh, mentor in that he, you know, by his example, laid the groundwork actually for. And my my development he was a very inspirational uh, individual. He was a great one for seeing the, the wood through the trees, and I think some of that has, has come through. He's someone who always had time for people and their personal issues. Always very consider, concerned and considerate of people with problems uh, within the business. I remember once saying to him, um, "Why are you seeing that?" Uh, that man is no use to us. And he said, uh, yes, but, uh, but uh, I'm important to him. I'm important for him. There's a sort of uh, an element of, of wanting to help uh, other people when, 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 he, when he could. He was also um, pragmatic in many ways. I used to get sort of exasperated because we'd lose a deal of some kind. And he used to say, well, uh, we'll still have breakfast tomorrow morning. You know, he wouldn't be pushed to a silly price just to just to do the deal. And I think that's that very often people are sort of the passion for the deal, the spirit of the deal take over. And people will do it at any cost and then of course pay for it afterwards. He'd always said you make your money on the deal. It doesn't matter how much better you run your business how well you run your business after that. If the deal is wrong in the first place, you'll never make a you'll never make a return. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. And and would you say, just uh, finally, would you say that you are optimistic about the future? Yeah, I'm always optimistic about the future. I'm not particularly optimistic about the short-term future, but I think uh, things will uh, will find an equilibrium again uh, reasonably soon. Well, on that very positive note, I think we will leave it there. But thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, Sirocco. Thank you very much. Not at all. Very much enjoyed talking to you. That was Sasha in conversation with Sir Rocco. I hope you enjoyed their chat. For more episodes of Out of Office, please check out Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Bloomberg Terminal or Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter. Check out at Podcasts. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Till then, stay well. And once again, thank you for listening.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.